0: Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. And, you know how I always make those interesting comments during the game.
1: Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Well, you know they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast.
2: But a talk show host. This is in the booth. Talk show host. That's good. <laughs> I talk to people all the time with Matt Park and welcome everybody welcome in the booth on a Thursday afternoon lots going on in the sports world lots of those meaty sports radio topics like instant replay and fan interference and the one and done rule in college basketball all fair game and all things we can touch on today as we continue to preview the orange football matchup against uh, North Carolina. It's in the Dome Saturday. Believe it or not, that is an ACC game as uh, they get together for the first time ever as uh, conference opponents and uh, first time since uh, 2003 overall. So that's coming up as we get set for uh, all of that. The AmeriQ Dino Babers show is tonight as well over at uh, Press Room Pub. Defensive tackle coach Vincent Reynolds will be our guest on the show there and uh, hope to see all of you out there. It's kind of the... uh, Official beginning of the weekend, the way we look at it. will Thursday night radio show action and get to Coach Baber's latest thoughts on what it'll take to get it done here against North Carolina. One of the things about this Carolina team, and we talk about it every week, coaches certainly obsess about it, is their personnel. It's been in such a degree of flux. We'll see if Dave Archer of the ACC Network can help us with it to any degree. They've had to turn over their entire roster in one way or another based on injuries, suspensions, etc. They might only have two healthy quarterbacks coming into the game. And they're talking about you know walk-on, holder-type guys that might be suited up at quarterback. I heard the uh, TV reporter from the uh, Triangle area that uh, Seth and Steve had on earlier saying maybe they'll just snap it directly to their best athlete as a wide receiver named uh, Anthony Ratliff-Williams. So I think at this point you got to prepare for anything and everything come Saturday. Of course, that would be one of the tactics you'd use, right? If you knew you had nothing at quarterback. And you saw, by the way, you saw Pittsburgh use kind of the Wildcat concept to some effect. Maybe you just say it for the idea of getting Syracuse to uh, lose sleep and prepare for more than you'd ever even intend to run. But uh, the other thing is maybe you actually do pursue those uh, types of plays and put the ball in the hands of your playmakers as the Orange uh, clearly have struggled in stopping the run the last two weeks. It certainly puts them to the test how well did they use the bye week and uh, how much have they improved in terms of tackling and fundamentals on that side of things. But we'll begin today, of course, with last night's American League Championship Series game and what a game it was, really all of the postseason series um You know, a couple blowouts, sweeps and whatever in the first round. These league championship series have been good. And right now, in this case, the road team, the Red Sox, winning in Houston to really put them in the driver's seat. Last night's game hinged on a play that is exciting either way you look at it. It's a fly ball into right field where Jackie Bradley Jr. I'm sorry, Mookie Betts. Goes uh, back to the wall. By now you know the deal. He uh, makes some contact with the fans. The ball's over the wall. And it's ruled an out instead of a home run. That not only hinges that game, it may have hinged the entire series. And then still the Astros have an opportunity uh, trailing 8-6 to six with the game on the line and the bases loaded. One other play had it gone the other way hinges certainly the game and Maybe this series. So let's walk through it. The first is uh here early, this uh, fan interference call, as it turns out to be. And uh, this is how it sounded on TBS with Brian Anderson last night. Altuve, right field, back there. Bats at the track. He leaps, and it is out. It's off a fan. No, they're saying off of Bats. It is in play. They may be calling it interference I'm trying to get a read on the right field umpire here Joe West made a couple of calls one it was an amazing leap by Mookie Betts. We're going to see whether it hit in his glove or it hit a fan's hand. That will be the big issue. Mookie with the jump he had it measured it looked like he was going to catch it
1: and he gets stopped Ooh. from catching it from the hand of the fan. The fan closed his glove, closed Mookie Betts' glove prematurely because it pushed up
2: against the leather. So that's uh, really a pretty good synopsis of it, encapsulating the whole thing, Brian Anderson and Ron Darling on TBS, and you get the various players involved. So Altuve hits the ball. He winds up on third base, coulda, shoulda, woulda been a home run from an Astros perspective. Mookie Betts looks like he's going to make one of the greatest catches in MLB postseason history, we'd be talking today about how great a catch it was, and then fans happen. Joe West, who's an A-list official, people uh, know who he is, as a Major League Baseball umpire uh, because of all kinds of other reasons, um, not the least of which is his size and his look and his sort of personal facial expressions and and everything else. Uh, Not probably the uh, fleetest of foot umpires, he gets out there and... What turns out here in replay is they stick with the play as it was called, which is fan interference. Fan interference is saying that the fans have reached over the fence, in this case the uh, yellow line there, to mess up a play where it would be assumed that a catch was being made. The player has no actual right to, to reach into the stands to make the play. Now, they, that can happen, but if a player does reach in and collides with a fan and doesn't make the catch, that's the player's problem, uh, as long as the fans are not reaching over. Paulie, you uh, took to Twitter. You had one of the, there's a lot of different things that people have put forth here. You had one of the uh, common points of view, which is look, if that's the thing, don't let players or don't let fans sit there. And here's what I'm about to tell you that's going to happen. In the next round of stadiums or in renovations and alterations, they're going to say, look, this could have been a really exciting, awesome all-time play last night by one of the best athletes in Major League Baseball. Mookie Betts hops up off the warning track. He's not that big, and he's up over the wall, and for all intents and purposes should have made and, and nearly did make a home run saving catch, and the fans followed up. I think in the future, you're not going to be able to see fans seated within an arm's reach of the fence, whether that means they're going to just build stadiums differently or seat people differently or kill some seats, that's going to happen. And that's not really a net gain because obviously it's pretty awesome to sit there. So that's one of the things that's uh, that's going to happen here.
1: But uh, the, the issue yeah. I have is it's human instinct, if something's flying at you, it's 80 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, to put your hands up.
2: Well, it's human interest to protect yourself. It's yeah. not human interest to uh, aggressively go after it.
1: But I, I you think know? you just – instincts kick in, and you're going to catch something that's coming at you that fast. Right. So it, it, his glove I think glove by the is, time
2: it gets out there, it's not really actually coming that fast at you, but your point is
1: – And I think his – I don't know. I thought his glove was clearly in the stands. The ball may not have been, but his glove was – My feeling is top. I
2: don't know how clear any of it was – Now, again, people say, oh, gee, why isn't there a a camera right on the line? Well, maybe someday there will be, maybe in the World Series, probably now for sure they'll put one there in the World Series and whatever. You just can't have that way all the time. And then the way replay is done in sports is if we can't find completely conclusive evidence to overturn this call, we're not going to overturn it. If that had not been called uh, fan interference all along, I think that would have potentially stood. There just wasn't enough on uh, replay. Uh, from my understanding, to uh, to be able to change it. And obviously, A.J. Hinch goes crazy uh, because the Astros, in this case, uh, lost... I think there's a runner on base, so they um, lost a run-scoring opportunity, not to mention um, what would have been a home run for Altuve himself, and it's uh, called a catch-in and out. But then the, the Astros rally back, and I've been sick all week, so I can't claim I stayed up to this, but I did see the uh, the replay this morning. And what a catch this is by Andrew Benintendi in left field for Boston. They have an incredible defensive outfield with Betts, Benintendi, Jackie Bradley. And this is a ball that he's making a pretty risky play on. If he elects even to play it on a hop, you're giving up certainly one run, maybe two, which would have... Tied the game. If he misses it in a bases loaded situation, ball game, and he goes for and makes this catch. Bases loaded, down to the Astros at the plate. Kimbrell deals, Bregman in the air, left field. Benintendi dives and he makes the catch. Oh, what a play! Game saver, Andrew Benintendi. And Benintendi hangs on with uh, the tremendous grab there. So. So blown away were the Red Sox on this that uh Colgate graduate and longtime Red Sox radio announcer Joe Castiglione lost it.
1: He's walked the bases loaded here in the ninth inning. A young superstar Alex Bregman. Not give a step to the right, the pitch. Swing and a line drive left field. Ben and coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! And the Red Sox win. <laughs> The Red Sox As I just went head over heels in my chair. Joe just fell down. <laughs> oh, wow. What a catch by Andrew Benintendi. And they're not going to review it. Unbelievable. What a play. And the Red Sox lead the series three games to one.
2: Well, there was nothing to review, but I could imagine why they would go through the process of saying that because uh, certainly the way some of these games play out, you uh, pretty much expect that now. But he kind of pulled a Coach Mack there, wiping out in his – Chair, you heard uh, Tim Neverett uh, stepping in to fill in the blanks on that. And uh, this is how the uh, more even handed John Boog Shambi sounded right here on ESPN Radio. The right hander fires. Swinging a liner, left field. Ben Attendi dives, makes the grab. He saved the game in left field. Laying out, stole a hit from Alex Bregman. And that is the ball game. So that's how that one went down. 8-6 Boston, and uh, they are now up three games to one in the series. They play again tonight at eight uh, ten. The National League series is off for travel and uh, back in action in Milwaukee tomorrow night.
1: I know people say baseball is boring. If you watched that game last night and were bored, you're you're insane. They're not all like that, but that is why baseball is as fun as it gets, was that game last
2: yeah, night. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tremendous game. Lots of twists and turns. Fans are into it. Awesome environment in Houston. First of all, you should be into the postseason, so I, I don't want to give uh, undue credit to any of these places, that, but all great atmospheres, and it should be. I understand that it's not always great at Dodger Stadium, and that has been some um, issue for discussion uh, during the week, but television's been great. Heard the rant by Chris Mad Dog Russo on serious about the game times, and you know, that's another get off my lawn type thing. I think we'd all love to be able to uh, find a way for these ga- games to uh, maybe take place and be watchable before uh, you know, two in the morning, etc. But uh, all, all good stuff here so far, and hope that these uh, series continue to be tight and go uh, at least to six or seven games, and then uh, should have a good World Series no matter what the combination is. All right, when we come back, we'll visit with Dave Archer of the uh, ACC Network, also the Atlanta Falcons radio color analyst, uh, see what light he can shed on uh, just the type of team he thinks that North Carolina will field when they come into the Dome on Saturday. He had the uh, Syracuse-Pittsburgh game as well, so saw the Orange there last time on the field. That's when we continue In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth brought to you by Bugsby Garn. Good to have you back with us. We're here one more day this week. Tomorrow, Larry Fedora, the North Carolina coach will uh, have some of our visit with him on the uh, show tomorrow, getting set for the Cuse and Carolina in the Dome Saturday at uh, 12.20. If you opt for the uh, television broadcast of that game, as we know many of you will, you'll hear our friend Dave Archer from ACC Network. He has the call with uh, Syracuse alum Tom Wormy on uh, Saturday and uh, coming off the Pittsburgh game on the road and all that good stuff as well. Arch, how are you? Good, good to uh, um,
0: have you on. I'm um, I'm good, man. Surely everybody will be listening to you, man. Oh, they be watching us. They're going to be listening to
2: you. That is exceptionally presumptuous, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. They'll, they'll be uh, picking up on you. In fact, that, that just uh, occurred to me that I, I think Tom, in reference to the Syracuse quarterback, uh, may have mispronounced the comma or something he referred to. It It sounded like he said Dave Dungy or something, and there was a lot of uh, – Twitter geeks reacting to that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah,
0: talking to me in reference to Some, Something movie. like I was well, like, know. Yeah. you know, what do you think, like
2: Dave? Think- Dun- you know, something like that. But I obviously Tom Wormy knows the name of the Syracuse quarterback, and he knows your name is Dave, so I don't think that he really – there really was a Dave Dungey, but that did pop I'd up. I'd like
0: to more. think that he would know the uh, the quarterback, starting quarterback for his alma
2: mater. I'd like to think he'd know that. I, so. do, uh, I do think he's quite aware of that. Here's the issue, yeah. though. I don't think we know the starting quarterback. We, yes, we do know the starting quarterback in North Carolina, but I don't know that they know who's where half the time anyway. Th- this is the, the most unusual thing I've seen in terms of the rolling suspensions, the three different running backs, the four or five quarterbacks. What's going on out there?
0: Yeah, it's been tough on Larry Fedora and his staff to try to nail down what the personnel is going to look like for them each and every Saturday. You know, And Malik Carney, who's one of those guys we're talking about as a He's on the field. One of the guys has been suspended. He's dynamic. He was outstanding against Virginia Tech a week ago. Had two sacks. Um, it doesn't look like he's going to play. obviously going to play in this game, it sounds like, against Syracuse, so he'll be off the field. And then the rotating quarterback scenario with injury with Surratt and, and Fortin, the freshman, being out. Looks like Nathan Elliott potentially will be the guy who gets the start, but Jace Reuter is warming up in the bullpen, if you will. The true freshman from Kansas, so yeah, it could be a myriad of players that uh, that Dino Babers and his staffs going to have to take care of.
2: So Carney was the one who was supposed to sit out the Virginia Tech game. They have other injuries. There's a, a defensive end named Hopper that was unavailable uh, to go, so they kind of made an appeal: "Hey, just this one time, can we, you know, get him out there?" And he obviously is an impactful player. It's you know everybody's used the same expression. It sounds like he's not going to go. It, it, it seems to me it's, it's somewhat unprecedented that they've been able to sort of adjust. The punishment on the fly here I think we all common sense would dictate that he's not going to play this week but sounds like you don't really know until game time
0: yeah I, I'm anticipating not I've got him on my card of course as, mm-hmm. who, as will you mm-hmm. uh, I I'm anticipating him not playing is there everything that, that I've been gathering that he will not play they got a special exemption as you said last week because of Depleted personnel that they let the kid play. It's really unpre- you're right, unprecedented in the NCAA to kind of you know fluctuate in, in their decision making as far as suspensions. Usually, when you're suspended, you're out, and it's a number of games, and then we'll see you when you get back, you know, and those kind of deals. But because there's so many, I guess they've they've kind of given them a little bit of a get out of jail free card to a certain extent, which is which is kind of strange. So, but I think North Carolina uh, has played better defensively, certainly with Carney on the field, they are better. Mm-hmm. Um they're gonna have to cut they're gonna have to lean on a couple of freshmen potentially that's going to come in off the bench to help fill that because they were good against Virginia Tech four sacks, nine tackles for loss. They really harassed uh, that Virginia Tech offense until that final drive that kind of sealed their doom.
2: Carney seven and a half tackles for loss in just three games played this year, so he obviously has been a beast when he's been available. And on the other side, Tamar Fox, all along was supposed to miss this game, and I would still think that he's supposed to, but you don't know for sure. And uh, my understanding is that he is due to sit out two more, so uh, you figure it's this and one more. Carolina's uh, not only lost two in a row and is in a little bit of tough shape with a one and four record, but then has back to back games on the road against uh, teams that think they're pretty good. Syracuse and then you know Virginia, who's coming off is better this year it appears, and is coming off that nice win for them against uh, Miami yeah. last week.
0: Well, man, I think that North Carolina last week, uh, they feel like they're pretty close on offense. And albeit all the guys that are out, and obviously we talked about the quarterback situation, they ran the ball for 235 against Bud Foster's defense a week ago, threw for almost 300 yards. I mean, they outgained Virginia Tech by 150 yards in that game, but Mm -hmm. turned the ball over. They really feel like, and, and I think any coach will tell you, if you turn the ball over, it's a recipe for disaster or certainly a loss their inability to take care of the ball really led to their loss. And uh, I think they feel like that they can just find a way to make the plays that are there. And they're talking about wide open receivers and making the throws and things like that. And if they take care of the ball, they feel like they can beat anybody. And they certainly are coming up there with a with a degree of confidence based on the way they played defensively. Now, uh, they, they'll argue that, that Ryan Willis is a similar player that Eric Dungy is. And uh, I would – Argue vehemently against that, but um, I think Ryan Willis has done a nice job filling in for Josh Jackson, but he, he's not Eric Dungey, So this will be a different animal for them uh, this weekend with Dungey's ability to two way in and all the weapons he's got. So it'll be interesting to see how Syracuse comes out after the bye and, and tries to get after North Carolina.
2: Our guest is Dave Archer of the ACC Network. We've been talking about all week North Carolina's minus eight on the season in turnovers, a ton of missed opportunities against Virginia Tech. Had even a couple of those been absent and they beat Virginia Tech, now you'd really be scared Scared about this game. I think you need to be scared anyway because really both teams should go into this one knowing that it's not over until it's over and anything can happen. You were at Pittsburgh uh, when Syracuse uh, failed to close the deal on that one, Dave. So you know that uh, really both of these teams are going to need to play to the final whistle.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think that this, this, the bye week came at a good time for Syracuse, I think, uh, obviously coming off of two really physical games, Clemson, and then going into the Pitt game that I felt like, you know, for all intents and purposes, you guys are going to win that football game. But it's been the inability to stop the run game in the last two games, uh, the opposition's run game. Obviously Clemson went for almost 300 by an ETN. And then last week two guys go over 100. Two weeks ago last two guys go over 100 for Pitt. And so when I say that the, the bye week came at the right time, I think because they're not overly deep on the defensive front, you get two great fire breathers on the edge in Coleman and Robinson. I think it was a good time for them to kind of get a breath of fresh air, get back, step back, get some rest, and get ready. Because that's what people are going to try to do. They're going to try to they're going to try to get after Syracuse in the run game and try to exploit, which might be a little bit of a thin area not not the thin in talent, but thin in bodies to play up front. So I would assume that North Carolina will try to attack.
2: Well, it's Syracuse's weakness against North Carolina's strength. I think. Uh, From a Syracuse perspective, that's got to be the thing you're most concerned about, that Carolina wants to run the rock anyway. It's what they feel like they're good at. And what can you tell us about the assortment of running backs here, Arch, with Michael Carter, who got the bulk of the carries the last time out, had a great game against uh, Virginia Tech, something like 168 yards, but he put it on the ground uh, in the most important moment of the game.
0: Yeah, Carter is the guy that, the sophomore, is the home run guy. The kid out of Florida, uh, he got great speed. He's not a big guy, 5'9", 190, 195, but he does have great speed. And his ability to heat you up, and once he gets on the perimeter, he's a problem. Antonio Williams is the transfer from Ohio State There's a bigger body guy that they like to pound to the inside. So um, two distinct, different running styles. Antonio Williams doesn't have a lot of shake to him, but he does have a lot of pop and power. Um, and then Carter comes in as that change of pace guy or vice versa with the great speed. So it is a nice change-up. And that's why you kind of wonder, uh, is the quarterback thing unfolds in this game? If Nathan Elliott, who's not a runner at all, a quarterback, he essentially may be replaced by Jace Ruder, the true freshman from Kansas, a dual-threat guy that can run it much better than he can throw it, but they feel confident in the way his ability to throw it based on what they've seen in practice. Maybe you see the guy, the quarterback, and give them a two-way go in the run game they try to affect Syracuse like you're talking about, but uh, uh based on what uh, I heard from the coaches and talked to them yesterday, Michael Carter's bounced back. At, you know, you worry about a young guy laying the ball on the ground, and essentially that the game that's the play that maybe decides the game. Uh, they said the kid came in with a great attitude and was ready to go, his teammates picked him up. So we'll see how he handles it if he lays it on the ground again.
2: Yeah, he averaged uh, last season just under six yards per carry, had eight touchdowns as a freshman last year and uh, has been very productive drawing comparisons uh, to uh, Giovanni Bernard who's uh, one of the best uh, recent Carolina running backs and had a good career with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Dave Archer, our guest, also uh, calls the uh, Falcons games on Sundays and uh, has a feel for uh, certainly what NFL talent looks like. The other, I guess, most talented player for Carolina would be Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Two kickoff return touchdowns uh, last year and Certainly, Syracuse has done a nice job of mitigating any uh, return game in punts or kicks. But w- what type of impact can he make?
0: Well, it'll all depend on the the, the guy, you know, shooting the rocks. I, mean, I, I think so. that they've had a tough time getting him the football. Uh, he's only got 16 receptions on the year now, he's been given an opportunity. And we did the we did the pit game with North Carolina as well, and he made a couple of big plays in that game, going over the top of corners to make plays. So he certainly has the ability. To create some problems for him. it's just been their inability to get him the ball. So, I think that'll be the biggest thing that kind of that'll affect them. They they love to try to get the ball to the tight end when they get down close. Uh, Carl Tucker had a big game against uh, Virginia Tech a week ago, so I think they're trying to get the tight end a little bit more involved. Maybe that frees Anthony Ratliff Williams up a little bit. But uh, I think it's the biggest thing is that they really struggle to get any of those guys on the perimeter of the ball. I guess the guy they would like to get involved more than anybody else is Daz Newsome. Because he has that, he'll play in the slot and he'll be the jet sweep guy and all that kind of stuff. He's a guy that uh, has some home run ability in him. Uh, those are the two guys: Ratliff Williams and Newsom on the perimeter that, that can create a problem.
2: Newsom had a big drop in the uh, Virginia Tech game as well, but does lead Carolina with uh, 18 catches on the year, uh, league wide uh, on the whole. Here, arts only three other games in the conference. This week, but uh, one might be the biggest game, is the biggest game in the league uh, so far this year, and that's uh, NC State at Clemson, which is a, a three thirty game, should uh, get rolling just when our game ends, and a, a big doings there, big opportunity for the Wolfpack, who the last trip down there came close.
0: Yeah, they've been close the last couple years, man. They really have. Obviously, the game you're referencing is the 16 game when they went down there and had a chance. They had the game on the foot of the field goal kicker. He missed the kick there in regulation, and then Deshaun Watson found a way to win the game in overtime. Uh, Last year's game was a good game as well. Tavian Feaster had a late touchdown run, a big, long run that that kind of set the table for Clemson to get out of uh, Raleigh with a W. So NC State's played them close. It's a really classic matchup between you know, that, that really good offense in NC State against the, the immovable force, if you will, um, uh, that defense. So when you talk about Finley being as good a passer he is and how good Clemson is getting after the passer, I think uh, NC State's converting 60% on third down, which is unheard of. You know, Clemson's only given up like 27% on third down. So the fun matchup there. The, I think the part in this game that people are overlooking is the fact that NC State's playing pretty good defense as well. Mm-hmm one of the best in the country in red zone defense and keeping people out of the end zone. And with all those people that went to the national football league and left school for Dave Dorn's team, they're pretty good on defense. And I think Clemson, uh, better not go to sleep on that, but I think Clemson's ability to two way, go it, throw it and run it is going to maybe Trump Ryan Finley, just throwing the ball because NC state's really struggled to run the ball this year.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. Three thirty 30 on ESPN, the, uh, Syracuse-NC State game, which is to follow next Saturday here in the Dome. That uh, kick time has not been determined yet because really they're waiting for the result of that one. If uh, NC State pulls off an upset there, now you're talking about a top 10 team uh, coming into the Dome the following weekend. And NC State's got a lot of good personnel and they also benefited obviously from an early cancellation against West Virginia, a game that I would guess they would have lost, but you never know. Uh, West Virginia has just suffered its first loss, but uh, State could be having a special season.
0: Uh, who was it? Who was it that uh, beat West Virginia? Do you remember who
2: won that game? Uh, let's you know, see. Uh,
0: we don't. Was it? We don't
2: pay much attention to the, that flyover stuff out there. Now, just coincidentally, Arts, where did you play your college football?
0: I, I happened to play a couple of downs at uh, in Ames, Iowa. So oh, okay, that was, there you uh, go. Yeah, that was a good win for Matt Campbell and his crew. <laughs> well, yeah, that so. In fact, 20. that
2: game wasn't close, right? They shut down. Uh, West Virginia I think had only fourteen points in the game and I saw where Dana Holgerson afterwards is like, you know, we're we're on some days we're the best offense in the country and on some days we can't move it an inch.
0: Yeah, Heisman Trophy candidate Will Greer threw for 100 yards in the game. 11-15 wow. to 15 for 100 yards. So yeah, they got after him. But uh, I digress to bring up Iowa State here in
2: this, in this scenario. <laughs> That's uh, quite all right. I love it. But uh, very good win by your Cyclones, and they've had a knack for uh, picking off uh, the Giants here once in a while in, in recent years. So uh, good stuff. Credit to you and your your crew there at uh, at Iowa State, and maybe uh, onward and upward for, for them. So uh, appreciate the time as always there, Arch. Safe travels to Syracuse, and we'll see you in the press box on Saturday morning,
0: I look forward to it, man. Thanks for having me
2: on. All right, Dave Archer of ACC Networking catch he and uh, Tom Wormy on the television call of the game Saturday afternoon. Of course, we'll be right here, Adam Terry and the crew with uh, Polly Civilian and Brian Higgins and the entire gang. Uh, yeah, can we wait he, to get that, out of here. Yeah, I don't know if we want to. Can't plug Polly when he can't get the buttons straight here, but uh, yeah, but Arts is gone. and He's not going to hang on the end of the commercial break. It like I had one other thing I was going to throw out about, about uh, Carolina's personnel. They're talking about you know additional quarterbacks. Their holder is the son of Les Miles, the longtime, very successful LSU coach. Of course, I guess not uh, successful enough for uh, their taste because he's not the coach there anymore. But uh, that's Manny Miles, and he's like fourth or fifth on the depth chart, kind of a, a walk-on quarterback type. And he's now kind of on the list because two other quarterbacks are lost— Nathan Elliott has not exactly uh, been a world-beater so far for Carolina, but uh, then they could go to another freshman, and they've got some issues at those positions. Look for Carolina, obviously, to focus on the run game come Saturday. So an interesting matchup where Carolina will look to lean on its strength, which happens to be uh, picking at Syracuse's weakness all at once. We'll try to keep uh, abreast of the personnel for the Tar Heels as best we can because of uh, some of their things with suspensions and injuries They haven't really lined up uh, with the same team any given week from uh, week to week. And we'll hear from Larry Fedora, the Carolina head coach, on tomorrow's show. Back with Do We Care? When we continue in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care.
3: The NBA plans to offer select players a professional path to the G League with a $125,000 salary to play in the G League for a year as an alternative of going to college.
2: Yeah, I got to do something here, I guess, you know, and um, yeah, I don't know. I hope it works out for him. I think it's uh, probably the right thing to do. I think, again, this is a probably a setback for college basketball, except that, This really should apply only to a handful of people that are actually good enough to be in the NBA within one year of playing high school uh, basketball. There's a lot of people who think they're able to do it. Legitimately, only a few can. Uh, To hang in the G League is tougher than you think. These are grown men and professional athletes, but uh, it will keep you would think, in theory, the the guy out there who's just going to college for the sham of it to play college basketball for one year and is going through the motions uh, in terms of the academic and, and social aspects of it, uh, that guy probably won't come to college now. He'll he'll go do this.
1: But PR wise, don't you think it's better to go to college? Like if you go to Syracuse or Duke, and you want to build a brand, you're going to get on TV way more playing at Syracuse or Duke than you would go. Yeah, to... Yeah, I mean it's all trade offs. There's all.
2: Trait you. So you could say, yeah, I'll be on TV more, but I'll not make 125k. Now you make some. I think what people miss out on there's all kinds of benefits for going to college. I don't know if we're, you know, this isn't going to be an advertisement for coming to college, but there's a, lots of benefits to it. And when we get into this topic again, what one of my feelings is, I don't think it's widely enough known the benefits that one gets from from coming to be a major scholarship athlete. Everybody says, oh, pay the players. Well, the players actually do get more cash put in their hands than you're aware of. Number one, number two, everybody is underestimating the value of a scholarship to the types of institutions that we're talking about, et cetera. That's probably a discussion for another time. But uh, you know, this is an alternative. We're clearly trending uh, to the point where one and done really won't be a thing. There, there won't be the requirement to uh, go. Not technically, there's not a requirement to go to college now either, but. You can't go directly uh, from the NBA to high school, and there will come a time here in the, the near future where you will be able to be a professional uh, one year after a high school
3: player. It came out filing Game 3 of the ALCS that there was a man employed by the Houston Astros standing right next to the Indians during the dugout during the D S and then the Red Sox during Game 1 of the ALCS. And the Red Sox and the Indians accused this man of, of, of stealing signs from their dugout. He was removed by security both times. The MLB, MLB investigated it and concluded that the man was monitoring the field to ensure that the opposing team wasn't violating any rules. So he broke rules to make sure nobody else was breaking rules. Right. Um. I'd like to read more about it to... to-
2: be and have a more informed opinion, but this is not good. It's it's obvious that it sounds like the Astros here have been kind of caught. My understanding and some of the stuff I read through quickly this morning was that uh, other teams around baseball are saying, whoa, they haven't stepped out and, and punished this guy more uh, severely and that uh, the commissioner's office is missing an opportunity here to uh, put an end to this. I've talked about it on this show and other shows before. I'm all for legitimate old-school sign-stealing. That's why you have signs. If there wasn't some sort of uh, secrecy and nuance involved in this, then we wouldn't even have the catcher putting down fingers. He would just say, "Throw the fastball, please." You know, so there's got to be some sort of deception in this. Um, but and that's why people speak with their gloves over their face and all that. Everybody's skeptical about who's looking in and you know that type of thing. But once you bring in technology to it, you bring in the uh, somebody with a binoculars and a computer in the hotel in Toronto looking down on the field. You got this uh, guy in the the dugout. Come on, that's that's unfair. You shouldn't have to go to that point. And uh, that type of espionage clearly should be done away with.
3: Outside sources and technology definitely should not be used in science. Unless you're going to make it for everybody. And the
2: problem with that is then it's going to bog down the game to such a degree that it's just going to be a bunch of robots out there, and that's no good either.
3: Uh, Khabib... And Floyd Mayweather might be the next boxing and MMA uh, crossover, I guess. Uh, Khabib called out Floyd Mayweather after his fight against Conor McGregor, or a couple days after, saying that he wants to fight the other man that's undefeated in in fighting. And Floyd Mayweather seems to want this to happen. He says, "I'm my own boss. I can say what's going on. I can I can't say what's going on Khabib's end, but on my end, we can make it happen."
2: Yeah, whatever. I mean, let them beat each other's brains in for all I care. It's not something I follow. Uh, very closely. Mayweather is obviously a despicable human being, but uh, has made a lot of money and is very provocative and, and interesting. The boss had us over to his house the last time uh, this went down, so on the assumption that he's going to do that again, I'm in. I'll, I'll bring the wine coolers or whatever it is. That wine ju- coolers. It's kind of a, <laughs> a shout at, at the crowd that was over there. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'll uh, I'll be there. I'll watch. I'll be part of the machinery here that uh, partakes and encourages uh, this stuff, but I don't pay attention to it day to day and I could take or leave it. I like a good steak. That was good it meal. It was good. It was a good meal. Yeah.
1: I'll yeah. go again. I probably won't get invited again. But <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, <that's, laughs> again, who knows whether he'll do that a second time. It was kind of a novelty, though, one time. In fact, our coach uh, guest tonight on the Dino Baber Show, Vince Reynolds, was invited to that uh, party at the boss's house. It would be nice to uh, see him again. Maybe we'll have to ask him if he would come to a, a party for Habib and Floyd. Floyd and Habib. That makes for a great logo. Back after this on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Just the last couple of minutes of the show today. One baseball game tonight. That'll be on the AM side. ESPN 1200 will have the Red Sox at the Astros. That's game five of that series. Boston could win it, clinch the series, and more power to them. You win three games on the road. Geez then uh, you ought to have a short series and some time to rest before the World Series. Not that that would all necessarily be a positive, but they can win three times in Houston. You uh, tip your cap to them and you move on. The uh, NFL weekend starts tonight with the Broncos and Cardinals. You can hear that game on the FM side, ESPN Radio seven seven. That is uh, right after the Coach Dino Baber show, which will actually be on tk ninety nine coach and Vince Reynolds the defensive tackle coach will be his guest at the tail end of the program but we'll look ahead to North Carolina and get coach's perspective on how they've gotten ready for this one and what it'll take to get it done on homecoming in the dome we thank Dave Archer our guest from ACC Network today for Tommy and Polly. I'm Matt saying so long thanks for listening back tomorrow at two in the booth on ESPN radio